The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, August 28th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Last week we started on, a, uh, on week one of a three-week series on gospel hospitality. Uh, we looked at the definition of hospitality, which literally means showing brotherly love to strangers. God's Word builds that definition out. It gives us a big picture of what that means and looks like. And so uh, we said last week that, uh, that a good definition uh, is that hospitality is showing brotherly love by welcoming strangers and fellow Christians into our homes and our lives for the glory of God. Now, last week we focused solely on the hospitality that we have received in Christ. We looked at Ephesians chapter 2, and it clearly shows us what God has, has done for us in sending Christ into this world. For every Christian in the past, we were the strangers that were loved. We were strangers, and Christ came close to us and loved us. He did not treat us as strangers. We saw that we were separated from Christ, but now Christ has drawn near to us. In the past, we were alienated from God's people, but now we are fellow citizens in Israel. In the past, we were strangers, but now we are members of God's family. Once we were without hope, but now we are fellow heirs of all that God has to give. Once we were without God in the world, now we are being built into the dwelling place of God. It is because, it is all because Jesus loved strangers and aliens, gave his life to bring us near. He went and prepared a place for us and then came back and he carried us there. And he will welcome us into eternity to enjoy him forever. So we receive that hospitality. We receive the hospitality of Jesus. And then his hospitality should always graciously lead us to show hospitality to others. It isn't meant to just sit there. His hospitality that he shows us should then move us to show hospitality to others. And so today, we're going to look at the hospitality of the Christian. What I don't want anyone walking away from today is uh, preparing a list of things in your head of things that you need to do better. I don't want you to think that you need to improve at, at cooking. You might, um, but... <laughs> But that's not for today. Um, I don't want you to, to think I need to learn how to become a neighborhood organizer. I don't want all the introverts freaking out and thinking I've got to start throwing parties in my neighborhood now. Um, some of you are great at that, and that's amazing. And, and, and praise God for that. Please keep inviting people to your house and inviting them in in that way. But I don't want anyone walking away from this series feeling guilty about all that you're not doing. As we walk through this together, my hope is that you become hopeful, hopeful about what God has done for you, and hopeful that there are many ways to show hospitality. My hope is that we can build our confidence today, become more equipped to be able to take steps towards being more like Christ more like Jesus in our hospitality. And as we grow in hospitality, I hope that Redemption Hill would be known for its hospitality. That in this neighborhood, in this city, that in this church, a culture of hospitality would take hold 
of us and not be simply relegated to something a few of us do. Uh, my hope is that over these three weeks, we would see the vital role that hospitality plays in the life of the Christian and the life of the church, and that we as the church would actually become excited when we hear the word hospitality. And so today we are looking at the hospitality of the Christian, and we're going to let the book of Hebrews and the New Testament guide us. We're going to read together from the book of Hebrews, starting in chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you, it is on page 1009. I'm going to start in Hebrews 12, 28, and we're going to read through Hebrews 13, verse 6. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. We're told, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Father, give us ears to hear today. I pray that you would take your word, use it in our lives, transform us to, to the image of your son, that you would do a great work in us, that we would have this confidence to be able to say that I will not fear because truly, Lord, you are our helper. Um, uh, so put that in our hearts and minds today. We thank you for your word. We ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are lots of books on hospitality out there. Um, most of them actually don't have anything to do with the Christian life. If you look at the top 10 books on hospitality on Amazon, it's a bizarre little list. Um, uh, the top 10 right now includes uh, the title, Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal. Um, that's actually number one in hospitality, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal. Uh, Number four on the list is entitled Barbarians at the Gate, <laughs> The Fall of Nabisco. Um, it seems a little dramatic for the company that makes Teddy Grahams. Um, and rounding out the top 10 is uh, Airbnb for Dummies. So um, go and pick those up. Uh, most of the books in this list are how to in some way, how to get into the hospitality industry, how to do this well in your own home. Uh, because we are often looking to be told exactly what we need to do. We are looking for a how-to book to spell out what we're supposed to do. Uh, the Bible is not a complete how-to guide. Um, it is not a how-to guide on hospitality. 
We want to know exactly how to do it, but that's not exactly what God gives us. The Bible doesn't tell us how often to show hospitality, what time of year should we host people, what time of day should we have our parties. It doesn't tell us what needs to be on the menu. It doesn't answer questions like, does it involve a meal? If so, what should we make? How, sh- how much money should we spend and who exactly should we invite? It feels like it would be simpler if God would tell us exactly what to do. Last week we talked about the literal definition of hospitality, which is brotherly love of strangers. And then we defined that out as we did earlier, showing brotherly love and welcoming the stranger and fellow Christians into our homes and lives. That paints a broad stroke in how we show hospitality to others. God doesn't give us a direct how-to. He gives us something much better than that. He shows us what hospitality looks like. He gives us direction and guidance. He paints a perfect picture of what hospitality involves. He models it for us perfectly and gives us everything that we need to be able to do it. He sends his son and shows us how to do it, shows us what it looks like, and then he sends us out and says, use the mind, use the heart that I've given you, use the gifts that I've given you, use the the things that I've given you, and show brotherly love to one another and to strangers. We would rather just have a book given to us by God that says Hospitality 101, but that is going to fall far short of what God has for you. And this passage in Hebrews paints that picture very perfectly of what hospitality is. It gives us the direction and guidance that we need. The book of Hebrews, if you're not familiar with it, is a long letter. It is nearly 5,000 words. But if you were going to sum it up, the theme of this letter into just three words, it would be Jesus is better. One pastor put it very eloquently, Jesus Christ is superior and preeminent over everyone and everything. That is the book of Hebrews. We could spend ages going through this, but in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is shown to be a better word, a better messenger, a better promise, a better sacrifice, a better country, a better hope. Better than the angels, better than all the other priests, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than everything. There is nothing that Jesus is not better than. And the author of Hebrews shows that to us perfectly. And then out of that, he then calls us to love one another. He calls us to love and good works that spring out of believing that Jesus is better than everything else. And so that is where our good works start from. And so the author of Hebrews here, starting in Hebrews 12, verse 28, lays out what hospitality looks like in light of Jesus being better. First, we see that the hospitality of Christ leads us to gratitude. Verse 28 says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We should be grateful. Why? Because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That doesn't mean that bad things can't happen. It doesn't mean that things can't shake us at times. But we, because of Jesus, we can never be separated from God's love. We can never be separated from him. 
Nothing can separate us. So we cannot be shaken and that will carry us into eternity. We get to live forever in that kingdom and that should lead us to gratitude. Most of our hospitality, as many have pointed out, is transactional hospitality. We expend, we expend hospitality to others and we expect that they will do something for us in return. To pour ourselves out for someone sacrificially and, and not get repaid in any way for that is hard. To pour ourselves out to spend what we have, to, to offer what we have, and then to get nothing in return is hard. And, and, and God knows that it's hard. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told, show hospitality to one another without grumbling or complaining. God knew that some of us were going to complain about this. How do we stay grateful when we open up our home, we open up our lives, we spend our money to show hospitality to someone and they don't seem to appreciate it? How do we remain cheerful and grateful when we feel like somebody has taken advantage of our hospitality? My wife and I lived in Charlottesville for seven years before moving to Richmond. And while we were there, we, along with three or four others, uh, intentionally began to serve and care uh, for a woman who didn't have much help in her life. Uh, she was a hoarder and needed help getting her life organized. She had experienced a lot of difficult loss and had been treated like an outcast by her family. And so we found out about her through a local ministry and, and we went in one weekend, we set apart a weekend to go in and, and help her get her life in order. And that weekend turned into over six months, um, almost every weekend going to her house, helping her work through the things and the issues in her life. And we were happy to do it most of the time, but honestly, in over six months, she never said the words thank you. And there were times where that just weighed on us and where we would start talking about how hard it was to not even get a simple thank you for helping. And that quickly turned into grumbling and complaining about how much time we were given, how much effort we were given, and we're not getting anything in return. It became harder to go and serve her because we weren't getting paid for this and we weren't gonna get anything in return. But the truth is that she was needy and extremely humbled. It was difficult for her to ask for help. It was even more difficult to let someone into her life and home to help her in that way. And for us, we were looking to get something out of it, even something small in return, but we were looking for it in the wrong person. Luke 14, we talked about this parable last week. It's the parable of the great feast. Jesus tells us to invite people into your home and share your food with needy people who can't repay you. And we're meant to do that without grumbling and complaining. We're, we're meant to do that gratefully. Our response should be, what a privilege to be able to serve someone in the way that Christ has served me. But God knows our hearts, knows that we are prone to grumbling and complaining. And so he frees us up. He frees us up to not feel like we need to get repaid because he doesn't just end with invite those people who can't repay you. He actually promises this, that, he, that we will be repaid. We can show hospitality gratefully 
and cheerfully, no matter what the response, because God has promised to repay you. Luke 14, verse 14, Jesus says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Do this for those who cannot repay you because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You're gonna be repaid, it's just by Jesus. Jesus is going to repay your hospitality and I promise you that Jesus repaying you is so much better than, than anything that anybody can offer you in return. It's better than being told thank you. It's better than being told how good you are at hospitality. The hospitality of Christ is so good that it should lead us to gratitude. And then the hospitality of Christ leads us to persistently love our church family. Verse one of Hebrews 13 tells us, let brotherly love continue. It's a simple, small statement. The word here in Greek means brotherly love. We talked about it last week, but it was strictly used to describe actual brothers and sisters. It was never used to describe friends who were as close as brothers and sisters. It would have been shocking to people in that culture at that time to talk about someone other than your family using these words. It's not usually how we look at the church around us. We often think about fellow members of our church as distant strangers, as acquaintances, sometimes friends, and for a very small group, we might consider them family, but that is not a sufficient way of viewing one another. We have a very unique relationship to other Christians because we have the same father. If we are Christians, then God is your father and God is my father. That makes the idea that we are brothers and sisters as much a reality as it is true that God is your father. If you believe that God is your father, then you have to believe that the fellow Christians around you are your brothers and sisters. Rosaria Butterfield has said it this way, the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of biology. God is not our father in some vague metaphorical sense, and so we are not brothers and sisters in some vague metaphorical sense. But that is much closer to how we treat one another. And so the writer commands us to continue loving your brothers and sisters. The word here, continue, has the idea of being persistent to show love to one another. Persisting in love is not easy, especially in church. Love is much easier at the start of any relationship. It is always harder to continue in love because we start to see more clearly the faults of the other person. One of my favorite quotes uh, from Ray Ortland, a pastor in Nashville, uh, once said, Christians are like porcupines. We have a lot of fine points, but it's not easy to get close to them. Um, People, people are difficult, and Christians are difficult. Christians are people. What makes it especially difficult is that Christians are people that sometimes we have higher expectations of. We expect good things from our Christian brothers and sisters. We have high expectations of them, and, and higher expectations means a better chance of being let down. Over time, we will disagree with one another, we will disappoint each other, we will say the wrong things at times to one another. We will sin against one another. And every time that happens, there's the chance that a little more distance is created in our hearts between us and that other person. Until eventually, 
we probably honestly can't say that we truly love one another like brothers and sisters. So we're told to continue loving them, persist in loving them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the apostle John tells us, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John cuts straight to the point. Uh, we don't get to just say that we love God but not love our fellow Christians. It's not possible. It's easier to say that we love God. He's out there. He created us. He is our Father. It's not as easy to say, I love my brothers. I do this a lot at home. Um, I, I found myself often settling for just squeezing in. Uh, you know, I don't really hate my brother, but I don't love my brother either. Um, I play word bingo at, at home a lot. Jen will say, I can tell you're angry. And I'll say, I'm not angry. And then she'll say, well, then what are you? <laughs> Furious, disappointed, distracted, irate. We'll finally get to the word that describes me. As Christians, we would rarely say that we hate our brothers and sisters. But there are a lot of other words that we feel about them that are probably more closely related to hate than it is love. That's what we feel towards our fellow believers. So John, thankfully, goes a step further in the rest of verse 20. He says, for he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's just a lot to ask. Uh, I have to love my fellow Christians or I cannot say that I love God. I'm so glad I didn't write this. I, I'm glad I can point to someone else. Only God in his perfect love and wisdom could say this. I, I honestly think if we, if we just took one sentence of the Bible really seriously, it would radically change the way we talk. It would change the way we spend money. It would change... The, the way we see one another, it would change the way we love one another. It would radically change how we show hospitality to one another. We disappoint and sin against God all the time, and yet Jesus draws near to us and actively, persistently loves us. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us, don't stop loving your church family. Let brotherly love continue. The hospitality of Christ leads us to persistently love our church family, and then the hospitality of Christ leads us to obediently show hospitality to strangers. In verse 2, we're told, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I think uh, for many of us, we see hospitality as a nice optional part of the Christian life. The truth is, hospitality is commanded. Every time hospitality is talked about, it is commanded. The New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, John, and here the author of Hebrews, all talk about hospitality like it is a command that we are meant to obey. Here in Hebrews, we are given a straightforward command. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In Romans 15 verse 7, we're told again as a command, welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. In that same book, just a few chapters earlier, Paul tells us to pursue hospitality. We don't just sit around and wait for an opportunity. We don't just sit around and wait for the right time. 
We pursue, we seek after hospitality. We should be actively doing this. We often treat hospitality like it is something only those who are gifted at hospitality should do. But the truth is, hospitality is a matter of obedience for every Christian. You can turn there if you want to. First um, Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 9 just quickly. We treat hospitality as optional, but God treats it as essential for Christians. And I want you just to hear the level of importance. There's other passages we could go to. But I just want you to hear the level of importance in 1 Peter 4. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Peter tells us, the end of all things is at hand. Whatever comes after that is going to be important. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The end of all things is at hand, so keep loving one another passionately, earnestly. The end of all things is at hand, so continue to show hospitality to one another and do it cheerfully. We, we need to make sure that we take this as seriously as God does. Peter's telling us, don't waste time. Don't keep putting it off. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The writer knows that we are prone to let hospitality slip. We will go long periods of time never actually taking the time that is needed to offer hospitality. We put it off as something that we know we should do at some point. Author Christine Pohl said it this way, for most of the church's history, faithful believers extended vibrant hospitality in which needy strangers, Jesus and angels were welcomed in and through which people were transformed. But for many of us today, we miss the significance of hospitality and view it as a mildly pleasant activity if sufficient time is available. And if we're honest, sufficient time's never available. So we have to prioritize showing hospitality or we will neglect it. So the hospitality of Christ leads us to continue loving our brothers and obediently showing hospitality to strangers. And then we're told the hospitality of Christ leads us to compassion and sympathy for those in need. Verse three tells us, remember those who are in prison. How? As though in prison with them. Remember those who are mistreated because you are also in the body. We show hospitality to those who are hurting and needy, not just out of pity, but out of compassion and sympathy. Sympathy is seeking to understand the person who is hurting and compassion is moving towards them to help them. We need to think through how would we want to be treated if we were in prison? What would we hope that someone would do for us? You're called to remember it like you're in it with them. To those who have been mistreated and hurt, how would you feel if that had happened to you? What would you want someone else to know and say and ask? What would you want fellow Christians to do for you if you had been mistreated? 
We remember those who have suffered and been mistreated because we are part of the same body. And if one member hurts, then we all hurt. This call to remember is, is not a stagnant call. It is a call to action. It is a call to go to them. He is not saying simply remember and just let it be. When we are called to show compassion and sympathy, we are called to act on that. Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us, speaking about Jesus who did this perfectly, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus never sinned, did not have our weaknesses, but he was able to sympathize with us. And because he sympathized, then we're told, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he sympathized with, with, with us, now he is going to help us. Now we are gonna receive the mercy and grace that we are so desperately in need of. There are many times in the Gospels that we're told that Jesus saw someone and he was moved with compassion on them. Matthew 14 is just one of those where we're told Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. When we remember them, Jesus is calling us to see them, to have compassion on them, and when we have compassion on them, to do something to help. Jesus offers us all mercy and grace in our time of need. We see often prisoners and we judge them for the mistakes that they've made. We see those who have been mistreated and we remain apathetic, just grateful that it's not us. Christ had compassion and sympathized with us and offered help in our time of need. And so the hospitality of Christ calls us to compassion and sympathy for the prisoner and for the mistreated. And then in verse 5, the hospitality of Christ leads us to be sacrificial. Hospitality is not about how much you have, but hospitality is sacrificial. In verse 5 of Hebrews 13, we're told, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The way to be free from the love of money is to know and believe and be satisfied by the promises of God. To know and believe that God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the only way to be set free from the love of money. If God will never leave you or forsake you, then you don't need to love and desire money. You don't need to hold on to money like it will finally give you the happiness and security that we are all so desperately longing for. We treat hospitality like it is only something we can do once we've gotten enough and so we have to keep getting more. Enough house, enough money, enough things to finally be able to invite people into our lives. God has promised to be there for you and to provide for your every need. We are freed from the love of money by believing that the promises of money cannot compare with the promises of God. And when we are freed from the promises of money, then we can sacrificially extend hospitality to others because hospitality will cost us something. The author and, and pastor Alexander Strzok said this, hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share the things we value most, family, 
home, financial resources, food, and time. In other words, we share our lives. Hospitality is not about how much you have so you can be free from the love of money to think that you're going to get better at hospitality. It's not about how many people you can fit in your house. It's not about all the cool things you have in your house. It's not even about how good the food is. Uh, you might not have any of that, and you can still show hospitality that looks like the hospitality of Jesus. When Jen and I were first married, she was taking classes, and I was making $12,000 a year working at Chick-fil-A. Um, it's two weeks in a row we've mentioned Chick-fil-A. Um, I like to get people excited about Chick-fil-A on Sundays because it's not open and then you'll be real disappointed. So next week, we'll mention it again. Um, we were making $12,000 a year and we lived in a $350 a month one room apartment um, that at times could fit two other people in it. Um, you, you literally had to move our dinner table to be able to get to the washer and dryer. Um, we didn't have much, but you don't need much to show hospitality. We were still able to share our lives together with others. We were still able to invite people into our home and life. I just, I don't want you to think that you have to get bigger and better things to be able to show hospitality to others because it's simply not true. We talked about having the wrong definition of hospitality last week, that our current cultural definition is much more about entertaining than it is about hospitality. And here's one of the most important distinctions uh, that many people have made. Most of the time, entertaining is about the host. And, it, and often it is about the host being able to impress the guests with their things. True hospitality is not primarily about the host, it is about the guest. It is about the one being welcomed in. That's why back in Romans 15, in verses 2 and 3, right before we're told to welcome people as Christ has welcomed us, just a couple of verses earlier, we're told, each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. Christ gave himself for us. He did not please himself. So then we should now respond by doing good for our neighbors, doing good to our neighbors, to build them up, to proclaim the gospel, to show them the, the love of Jesus. N nothing else. We don't need to impress. When we love money, then we spend our lives living for ourselves. When we are free from the love of money and content, then we can sacrificially spend ourselves for others. That is the foundation for how we welcome one another. That is the foundation of being able to do this well. So the hospitality of Christ leads us to be sacrificial in showing hospitality. And then lastly, the hospitality of Christ leads us to confidence in God. Verse 6 of Hebrews 13 says it this way. It says Hebrews 13 verse 6. So we may boldly say... The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We have been given an unshakable kingdom, and the Lord God, the creator of all things, has promised to be with us and to help us. What do we possibly have to fear? Who do we possibly have to fear? One of the ways this plays out in our lives, we so desperately so many of us desire the approval of others. 
We're so desperate for validation. We fear that others don't see us the way we want to be seen. We fear the way people see us. We let the fear of man control what our homes look like. We let the fear of man control what our lives look like. We let that fear take hold and it takes over our lives. And it leads us to try and make more money so we can have more things and impress more people. Our identity is all too easily threatened by a single comment that someone makes to us or about us. And so I want to free you up today. You don't have to worry about how people see you. You don't have to worry about any, how anyone sees you or views you. And that's a really good thing. The truth is you have no control over how people see you. You'll never really know what they think or how they see you anyway, but your value is not determined in how people see you. And that is a really good thing. I shared this a while back, but I was out one day eating lunch with my kids and my five-year-old daughter, who I do not question how much she loves me and uh, looks up to me, was looking outside and saw a sign and got real excited and said, Dad, that looks like you. And I looked back expecting to see a picture of the most handsome man <laughs> in the world, but instead I saw a very large picture of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> I, I'm the one on your left if you can't. I, I quickly looked around for some other sign <laughs> because that couldn't possibly be what she was talking about. And it was one of those moments where as I looked around, there wasn't like a single other human face anywhere. <laughs> and so, and so I, I looked at her and I said, is, is that who you think looks like me? And with a big smile on her face, confidently, she just goes, Yep. If, if you need a confidence breaker, there it is. <laughs> we can't control how others see us. Even those people that we love us. We don't know all the ways that they see us. How others see you shouldn't control you. As Christians, the love of Christ controls us. We get to dwell on the fact that God sees us as sons and daughters. He is the one that we know perfectly how he sees us. He sees us as saints, as heirs of his kingdom, as his children. God sees us like he sees his son, Jesus, and that should control our identity. You are loved more than you could ever imagine, and that should build in you a deeply held confidence. I know many of you are familiar with this verse. It has been a comfort. This passage has been a comfort for Christians and for others for centuries. Psalm 23 is regarded as, as one of the great pieces of literature. It reminds us that no matter how dark our situation seems, that God is with us and for us. In the beginning of Psalm 23, God is pictured as the good shepherd, and that is the, the picture that we know most often. But at the end of Psalm 23, he is shown as the gracious host, the God of perfect hospitality. 
And so we're going to read Psalm 23 and just let it sink in. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Now just listen to these last ver verse, two verses and listen for the hospitality that God has shown us. Psalm 23 verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the hospitality of Jesus. God has prepared a table before you, even in the midst of your enemies, even in the presence of your enemies. He has prepared a feast for you and invited you to that feast. Goodness and mercy are going to walk closely with you for all of your life. Jesus is that goodness and mercy. He is the fulfillment of that. He promises to be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Goodness and mercy are walking alongside of you. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because Jesus went and prepared that place for you so that you could be brought in to his Father's house, so that you could be fellow heirs of his Father's kingdom. And that should lead us to confidence in God. It should lead us to boldly say, the Lord is my, my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me? We said at the beginning of this sermon that the entire book of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus is better. And that remains true here. It doesn't stop. Jesus has done all of these things for us better than we could ever do it for ourselves. Jesus has persistently loved his church, even while we were still sinners, even while we did not return his love. He has persistently loved his people. Jesus was perfectly obedient, willingly giving his life according to his Father's will for, for people that were strangers and enemies. He loved us, even while we were still enemies of his. Jesus moved towards lost sinners with the greatest compassion, receiving the punishment that we should have received, and he received it as if it was his own punishment. It was not. It was ours, and we don't get to, to, to feel that. We don't have to receive that anymore. We get to receive his love. Jesus' love was sacrificial, not looking to please himself, but to do the utmost good to his people. Jesus offered his body and his blood so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom. How can that not transform the way we love our brothers and sisters? How can that not transform the way we show hospitality to strangers? As Christians, we should always start with what God has done for us in Christ. We don't show hospitality to get made much of. We don't show hospitality to get repaid. We don't show hospitality to build what other people think of us. We show hospitality because Christ welcomed us into his family and into his home. We start with, with Christ, perfect and better than everything else, better than everyone else. We start with believing that that Christ is for us and that he has done all this for us. And then we move forward in response to what he has done for us. 
We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We are living always in response to what Christ has already done. For those of us today that are Christians, each week we are reminded of that sacrifice that Christ has made when we take communion together. We were reminded that Christ offered his body and shed his blood to save us from our sins. We need to be reminded of that every, every day, but every week we get to take communion together as his body. Uh, we get to take the bread and, and dip it into the juice and be reminded of what he has done for us, giving us a, a remembrance of him. And so we are welcome to come and take that uh, as, as Christians, turning away from our sins and completely trusting in Christ. If you are not a believer today, I was so glad that you are here with us. Love that you have come here. I encourage you just to stay in your seats during this time. And I urge you to consider Jesus. What is, what is keeping you from receiving and believing the love of Christ? I don't know your life. I don't know how big your house is. I don't know the things that you have. But I know that nothing is better than Jesus. Nothing in this world is better than Jesus. So please consider Jesus. Turn away from your sin. Turn to him. Trust him. Receive the welcome that he has extended to you. And for the rest of us, we will take a couple minutes to reflect after I pray. And then we will be invited to come and partake of this feast and take communion together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because every step of the way, you have led us, guided us. Father, you are with us because Jesus is better than everything. And we don't have to look for hope or identity in anything else. And I pray that you would use that in our lives to, to, to build a confidence, to move towards one another, to move towards our neighbors, to move towards others in this city with hospitality, the hospitality that you have shown us. And, and that through it, that many would see you and, and know you and trust in you. Father, let us never depend on ourselves. Let us depend completely on you. Thank you that you are so faithful. We praise you for it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.